The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Uh, Israel, as you heard on the news, has announced it has resumed combat in Gaza, having accused Hamas of violating the temporary truce. Now, for more on this and other stories, I'm joined here in Anantara the Marker by Fionn Sheehan, Ireland editor at independent.ie. Fionn, good morning. Morning, Pat. Let's talk about the cessation of the truce. And it, there's an air of inevitability about what happened. Yeah, so you're looking at about 4 a.m. Irish time. Uh, the the, the seven-day truce effectively ended and you had the, the accusations on, on both sides. Uh, Israel claiming that there were rockets uh, fired from Gaza towards Israeli territory, which they intercepted, uh, and that as a result they they began the, the conflict already. The Hamas are, are saying that that didn't happen; that it was just uh, Israel uh, resuming hostilities. Uh, Who does it serve to resume these hostilities? That's that's the issue. Israel is saying you broke the ceasefire, you pegged rockets into our territory, so we're resuming as we said we would if the truce was broken. Does it suit Israel to do this? Blinken is there. Blinken is saying, no, don't do it because you're going to uh, kill more innocent uh, civilians. It's very hard to be forensic as the Israelis would have it. Yeah, and Blinken is, is, is leaving now and leaving a warning that, that Israel has to take some level of precautions to ensure that there are not uh, civilian deaths. The Israeli side are also saying that not all the women and children uh, who Hamas pledged to release were released. It was 240 people uh, kidnapped on the uh, on the the day of the October 7th attacks, and about 110 of those have been released. But I mean, already this morning now we've got 32 people dead uh, in Gaza. You've already got a, a death toll there, uh, heading towards 15,000. So uh, both sides will observe the the last seven days, but basically be of the view that that neither got what they wanted. Uh, out of that ceasefire and, and therefore uh, the, the matters will continue on now in the, in the bloody uh, assaults. It's hard to know because of the effective news blackout in much of uh, Gaza uh, what Hamas have been doing uh, over the last seven days. Have they been regrouping? Have they been sorting themselves out uh, amid the chaos uh, caused by the Israeli bombardment? Uh, the Israelis themselves, perhaps the IDF, welcomed a moment for them to regroup, a seven-day moment. Yeah, and, and the, the IDF are saying now that they have carved up Gaza into specific zones to indicate to people what parts are going to be bombed on a daily basis. So that's uh, that's a, another development there, and they're saying that this will help in terms of humanitarian aid and, and the, the, the movement uh, of refugees, but it also gives a, a clear indication of what, what specific areas that they're going to It also indicates to Hamas yeah. where they should hide if they're using uh, their fellow citizens as human shields. Yeah. The places that not, are not going to be bombed, that's where you go. And that, that also indicates that the Israeli uh, assault is now going to move south, and of course, as we know, uh, for, the, for the past six weeks, uh, large numbers of people within a very tight space uh, have been moving from north to south and now the, the, the war is following them. Now there is an extraordinary story that has broken overnight about uh, how much did Israeli intelligence know about the likelihood of the October 7th attack. The, the, I suppose the narrative so far has been that this was a massive failure by Israeli intelligence and that is reflected on the Netanyahu government. This story says they knew. Yeah, the New York Times is saying that this plan uh, was obtained by them a, a year ago 
And that basically it outlined uh, how Hamas planned to attack uh, Israeli defences along the border uh, with Gaza, uh, target specific communications outposts. They knew where the Israeli military strength was positioned and that they would actually use uh, attacks uh, using hang gliders, using uh, trucks, breaking through the the defensive barriers and coming in uh, on foot uh, to attack Israel. And that's pretty much how it, how it panned out. The the significance of this is that Israeli intelligence looked at them and went, this is overambitious. They don't have this capability to carry out and coordinate such attacks. There are also reports that there were uh, day-long exercises being undertaken by Hamas and that that was reported back to, to, to the Israelis. The, the overarching significance is that if you go back 50 years to the Yom Kippur War, where you had four Arab states uh, at, attacking Israel in one day uh, on the, the Feast of, of Yom Kippur, and after that, the Israelis said, we can never get caught out like this again. They developed specific strategies within their intelligence system to make sure that they always challenged uh, the, the narrative about whatever intelligence was coming in. They created this tent man concept, a devil's advocate, somebody who would say, when everybody else in the room is saying, no, this, this can't happen, this isn't possible, that there would be somebody there who would say, well, no, there is a possibility that this could happen and we need to t- test it out a bit, a bit more. So it, it implies that the, the, the lessons that they learned 50 years ago have been forgotten again. It would suggest also that someone in Israeli intelligence is deeply disappointed in the, the, the fact that they were being blamed when perhaps it was the political establishment who simply refused to believe the intelligence. Yeah, and, and it, it seems that different arms uh, of the, the military had, had their, their say on this as well uh, and that the reports were, were, that were, were coming back uh, were that you know this, this simply uh, couldn't happen. So there was an underestimation here as well of the the capabilities and the organisational strength of Hamas. Now you've been writing in your own paper about another attack this time on a teleporter in, in Wexford. Yeah, so there is a a site of what was the old Great Southern uh, Hotel uh, just uh, on on the edge of Rosslare. Uh, port. It's in it's in the heart of the village there, and it's basically been developed now as a, a center for to provide asylum seeker accommodation. It, it's a building site for for the last several months. It's been quite controversial because it was originally intended to be a nursing home. Funding for that collapsed, so it it flipped uh, into becoming a, a accommodation. And there have been regular local protests. There have been been protests against, and pe- and people locally are saying, look, there's already three hotels in the town that have been. Con- converted uh, to, for, for this type of use, that their, the, the local services are, are being uh, overwhelmed. Uh, what happened uh, on, on Wednesday night uh, around about 4am was somebody broke into that building site. Uh, they appear to have petrol bombed uh, a teleporter worth about 80 grand belonging to a, a local contractor. Uh, there was other machinery around it that was, that was damaged uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a mild way. But it's, it's basically been seen as, as the latest violent incident yeah. in, in response. Now, what to is extraordinary in the story that you've written is that uh, the local protesters are saying, not in our name was it done. We don't know who did it. We are there 24-7 protesting. Uh, your story also points out that they say there's 24-hour security on the site. So you're wondering... How did the bomber get in to bomb the teleporter? Yeah, there are. It's a big site. There, there's three buildings on it. Uh, uh, there's also CCTV. 
uh, but it would appear that uh, a blind spot was was identified uh, here that somebody was able to to, to get in uh, and out uh, undetected. Uh, Garda forensic teams were on the were on the scene yesterday morning, uh, and they are now investigating. But important to point out that the, the protesters have condemned uh, this attack and, and saying said not in our name, nothing to do with us. Now the good news for you is that you will have an evening free because uh, one edition of Fair City is going to be cancelled. <laughs> Yeah, we don't yet know what day of the week we'll have free, though. Uh, so we'll, we'll all have to plan our schedules accordingly in, in, the, in the new year. Uh, maybe go, go out for a walk or watch an extra uh, episode of, of EastEnders, whatever the case, case may be. So there was a bit of a softening up uh, about the future of Fair City. There was talk about it being uh, scrapped completely. There was talk about it being outsourced from RT to an external uh, independent production company. There was heavy investment in recent years in, in a new set uh, at the back of Because of they the sold the site, so Carrickstown yeah. had to move. Carrickstown was sold off, yeah, um, for that $106 million to uh, a property developer seven, eight years ago. There's still nothing built on it. The old the old garage and the old McCoy's pub, you, you can still visibly see them there. Uh, but the, the new uh, set is about uh, 100 yards uh, away. So there was significant investment in that at, at the, the time. So the, 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 the thought process was, well, you either get an independent production company who will hire out the set or they'd move to a, a, an alternative set somewhere else. Instead, what's come back as part of the cost cutting program is that it will be reduced uh, from four nights a week to three nights a week. But they will continue with their recording schedule so that they can take a break on production during the months of, of July and August. And that's where the savings will come about. Okay, because uh, there will be some actors who are uh, so regularly featured they will be on uh, contracts for a series, but then there are others uh, who would be contracted per episode. So, you know, that will mean a loss of income. Yeah, it depends on the terms of the contract. And and also, um, Fair City has featured in part of the the deliberations and cases that have been taken uh, about effectively bogus uh, non-employment where people... Should and would have been entitled to be become full time staff, but weren't, and that's an issue that RT are going through, and the bill for that is is hitting for twenty million already. Now the savings are to amount to ten million based on uh, these cuts. That's how they've outlined them. Uh, there'll be the loss of an entertainment Saturday night show, not Tommy Tiernan. He Tommy Tiernan keeps going in, in in January, but there was a show on called the Summer Show last year. Uh, with Derek Mooney and Nuala Carey, that uh, was due to to kick off again this year. That that's now not happening. Again. Young offenders. Young offenders will be postponed uh, by a year. The the money list, uh, the the recorded series will will proceed, but another one will be will be kicked out uh, by a year. So it's kind of you're getting into kind of the the drip feed now of where are the the, the cuts uh, coming about. We still have to get the the, the specifics. Uh, on the, the redundancy program where exactly that, that will be targeted in terms of the 400 people, one-fifth of the staff uh, departing over the course uh, of the next uh, five years. But as you can see, there's no announcement here in terms of what shows they're looking at to independently produce uh, on on the outside. So you'd imagine if this is the cost-cutting measure for Fair City, 
there will be the thinking will be well okay maybe Fair City is now safe and the attention moves elsewhere Uh, sometimes though you need critical mass in other words you need a certain number of shows to be done in-house so that you exploit very expensive facilities uh, whether it's you know an editing suite or a studio uh, to exploit them fully. I remember when I was finishing up there, I'd go in at night uh, to do prime time on the front line and uh, there'd be no one there. No, there'd be someone in wardrobe, someone in makeup. There wouldn't be a sinner there. Uh, whereas a decade before, the place would be hopping. Yeah, and, and the old uh, radio centre, which is, is the, the building that people first see when they're, they're heading out south, uh, out, of, out of Donnybrook, that's largely speaking being evacuated uh, over yeah. over time. Uh, all the Radio 1 shows have moved up to other buildings and probably the intention is that will be used for some other purpose. It's a listed building, uh, so it's not. It's, a, it's right beside the, the land that was previously sold off. So you'd look at it and go, well, surely that's also going to be sold, but the difficulty is a, a developer who got hold of it, they wouldn't be able to do a whole lot with it. Yeah. It's also mostly underground. I mean, okay, it's a two-storey building, yeah. but one storey is effectively underground but for the studios, for sound insulation and so on. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and the, the issue has been that the, the studios have not uh, kept up to speed in, in terms of, of the facilities uh, available there. There has been a, a draining away of investment. So the, the, the objective in RT is to consolidate their activities toward, up towards the other end of the campus. But the future of, of the radio centre, whether that becomes some sort of uh, artistic and cultural forum or something like that remains to be seen. Mm. It could become um, you know, a media museum might be quite a, a, a nice thing there, there generate are, a little bit of income. There are good spaces in there as well in terms of the, the studio where the, where the orchestra uh, traditionally rehearsed. So there's, there's a possibility there that you could develop some sort of, of uh, theatre experience. Finally, the story dominating most of the front pages is uh, the passing of Shane McGowan. One of our own from Tipperary. He, his, his interest in traditional music uh, came about through his, his early days uh, living in the, in the village of, of Puckon, up by Nina, up near the, the coast of, of, of Loch Derg. And what people are reflecting upon this morning is, is how he managed to combine you know, poetry and anarchy, uh, the manner in which he, he created a, a genre, effectively combining punk, rock, and trad music all into one, and yet at the same time had this tremendous grasp uh, of of melody and and lyrics. And you look at uh, his catalogue of work over the years and everything that goes from absolutely fantastic uh, love songs uh, to raucous ballads. Yeah, and an unlikely frontman. <laughs> when you look at Shane, you know the the voice wasn't uh, that of a Sinatra. Uh, the appearance was uh, punky, to say uh, the least. And yet he became much beloved. Yeah, and 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 he lived a life. And I suppose people often did look at him uh, on stage and and think how you know wh- where's the where's all the, where's the, where's the energy come from? Where does the creative genius come from? But I, I suppose very often that's that's what said. Uh, about poets, playwrights, songwriters. It's, it's their lived experience that, that makes uh, their art. Fionn Sheen, Ireland editor for theindependent.ie. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Now the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.